Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show. I am your host, Reggie, and you should be hearing music right about soon. So the queue up is taking its time to queue up, but tonight is February. Ah, there we go. Yeah, there you go. That's your professional show right there, but uh. Let's get right to the proceedings. Um have a special guest who's probably already waiting online. Punctual guy, I like that. Uh so let's just bring him on. Let's do this show. Two on five. Yes, this is Shelton. How you doing, Reggie? Good, how are you, brother? I'm doing excellent, excellent. Happy to be on the show tonight. Good, good. It's uh long overdue, but I kept my promise and here we are. Right. <laughs> All right, so uh, what I usually do is I do my um, preliminary intro to let everybody know who we are, what we're doing. So you are listening to the Haitian Free Thinkers radio show. My name is Reggie. Tonight I'm interviewing Shelton Henderson. But for those of you who do not know who the Haitian Free Thinkers are, we are one of the world's few places uh, where Haitian secular people can gather and exchange ideas. You can find us on Facebook by just searching for Haitian Free Thinkers. You can uh, email us at HaitianFreeThinkers at gmail.com. I'm, the website is now officially up, HaitianFreeThinkers.org. And uh, tonight you can call in by dialing 657-383-1619. Once again, 657 383 one six one nine. I usually have my co-host James with me tonight. I'm going to be writing solo. It's going to be probably Shelton and I. But uh, if you're listening out there, feel free to call in. If you're unable to catch the show live um, and you have iTunes, you can uh, get the show by searching the podcast section and just searching for Asian Free Thinkers. Also, put the show on Stitcher Radio if you have Android as well as. Um, Spreaker, Spreaker, S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R, Spreaker. So those are the platforms that are available that you can catch the show if you are unable to call in live. But um, we we should have a good time tonight. Um, Yeah, so Patient Free Thinkers is there to basically raise the profile of secular Haitians all over the world and uh, we've been doing this since 2012. This is our fourth year, so we're just slowly trying to get better as you know we move on. So 
Shelton Henderson is my guest tonight. So, Shelton, let the people know a little bit about yourself, please. Yes, uh, Shelton Henderson. I'm from uh, originally from Philadelphia. Um, uh, I am 53 years old, and um, I am a yes, I became an atheist. Um, uh, actually, I think we we're all born atheists, but we're kind of brainwashed to be believers. So. <laughs> So I was born an atheist, but actually, according to the way things normally go, I um I became atheist in my mid to late twenties, and um, I was uh, born uh, and raised up in a group of uh, I would say was probably the uh, first wave of Hebrew Israelites out of the um, led by men out of the late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. Um, <clears throat> Uh, one particular man uh, that that I, the church that I was brought up in is called the Church of the Living God in Philly, and it was uh, uh, run by a man called Prophet Cherry, who was, like I said, one of the first men that came out of the uh, the Christian tradition, the Pentecostal tradition, and kind of made the um, the message of more nationalistic message as we know the Hebrew Israelites do today. They connect the situation of the people written about in the Bible to black people and claim black people as Jews, Hebrew Israelites because of the similarities of the stories that's written in the book. Um, so uh, when I when I late uh uh, late teens, early twenties, I started to do a lot of research and start asking questions. And um, actually, I was actually trying to learn more because um, I wanted to be a more serious student and actually become uh, more religious. <laughs> but as I studied more and learned more, um, I actually started going the other way and stopped believing a lot of things that um, I was brought up to believe because it just did not stand up to logic. It didn't stand up to common sense. And I couldn't uh, articulate a proper defense if someone questioned me. Um, so since that time, since my late 20s up until this time, I've been continuing to research and continuing to uh, um, encounter and seek out, actually, uh, people who don't believe as I do um, and, you know, basically see us and just um, kind of challenge them based on – and the formal debates uh, – and conversations and things like that. So, um, you know, that's pretty much where I am today. I'm, you know, I that that's my my story. Okay, so the Black Hebrew Israelites, um, I know a little bit about them, but um, I was surprised to find out that they go back to the late 1800s. But is there an official Start year and a person that's credited for starting the movement. Well, according to my research, um, and if you look at the time between the, I would say like a, a, the first person that actually, um, according to my research, that 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 uh, start making the breakaway. There were names that I have um, uh, uh, was William Christian, um, but the first person to actually start establishing which were called churches at that particular time, was uh, Prophet Crowdy, who um, 
I don't have uh, his exact place, but he he is prominent here in he's prominent here in Philadelphia, and he started churches basically in many many cities, and then they established a uh, it, which it still exists to this day. Um, you know what happens normally in these movements? You know you have a a, a charismatic figure, and then when that figure dies, the movement splintered. So that happened in the early because he died in uh, 1908, I believe. And his movement kind of splintered out, and uh, but there's still a, there's still uh, a church here in Philadelphia, and there's churches actually all around the world, uh, which they moved from the Christian aspect of it because he kind of phased out of the Christianity, and moved into the more, uh, for lack of a better word, Jewish type of uh, worship. Um, but they have a, uh, a fairly big. Um, facility down in Virginia where he bought land and uh it's actually a pretty uh pretty impressive thing that they have done um you don't hear much about them because uh I mean I don't know why but they're not they're not out in in the streets and things like that but the the original thing that happened was that um black people started to move away because they weren't finding you know you, at the, at the time and even up until this day uh, anything, you know, Christianity can justify any Christianity uh justifies slavery. You know, they can just go to a to a verse and justify uh slave so it you know, so to a certain uh part of the population in the late eighteen hundreds of black people, they were not just it's like look, we can't we're not seeing ourselves in this thing. These people are um, you know, lynching and killing all in the name and then pointing to the Bible. So uh, there were men um, who went in and said, look, well, you know, we can relate more to these people, to these Israelites. It sounds like it's talking about us because we're in slavery and we're in this hard bondage. Um, They must be talking, this must be about us. So they made the connection and then built upon that connection. But um, in the late late 1800s, it was mainly a Pentecostal movement. It was a movement out of the Pentecostal church because most of the customs that you look at in the uh, Hebrew Israelite um, beginnings were the Christian rituals, the feet washing, the uh, some of them did the speaking in tongues and things like that. So it's a very early movement, but it went in different phases. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it started there, late 1800, 1875 actually was the first established uh, uh, what they used to call the Black Jew Church, but it evolved into different branches up until this time. You have the the people that are screaming in the street and things like that, but they come from various factions of earlier generations of Hebrew Israelites. Um, that's amazing because I, I didn't know all that. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually typing notes because you're bringing exactly what I needed tonight. Um, I have so many questions. Like Philadelphia, to me, um, I've visited the city a couple of times. I didn't go deep um, uh, as far as, like, the neighborhoods. So a lot of my knowledge, honestly, comes from hip-hop, you know, the roots. Uh, shout out to the roots. Um, but uh, so I do know that there's a lot of um, – it's like it's kind of like New York in that there's a tradition, a culture of religious – Fervor, but black nationalistic uh, based, if you will. So I know they have a lot of uh, uh, Muslims over there. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I can tell you real quick um, my uh, my story with the Hebrew Israelites. So it was around, I want to say, 2000, gosh, it must have been, I think it was after the war. So I want to say 2004 time frame. A friend of mine gave passes, um, gives me a, a, like a, one of those um, club promotion cards. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, it was talking about the 12 tribes and et cetera. So I just thought it was, you know, some, some, I don't know, some kind of crazy promotion. And um, um, eventually I met a young lady who knew I was into religion. At the time I was not officially an atheist. And she had me talk to a man who had a deep voice, I'll never forget, and he was telling me about how, you know, do I know who I am, et cetera. If I want to find out, come to a meeting. And uh, that was a little bit too spooky for me, so I didn't go. Um, Mm -hmm. But eventually I found myself at a meeting in South Florida um, at the 441 building. For those of you who are there who will listen or who knows about the building right next to the Burger King, so that's when I, I met those people and I saw how they dressed, et cetera. Um, eventually, I went to a meeting at one of the homes of the uh, elders, I guess. And it was really strange because I remember they had paraphernalia all over the place. Um, and they had the uh, white Jesus with the horns. They had um, the shefar, I guess it's called the the, 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 the ram's um, the ram's horn. They had right. um, a lot of a lot of tapes, a lot of posters, and um, it was kind of intimidating because the disposition of the man was that he's some some kind of master teacher, and I'm some kind of empty vessel. But at the time, I knew so much about the Bible already that I really felt like there was nothing you can tell me, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So, if anything, I was going to teach him a thing or two, but I was trying to like listen and bite my tongue. And uh, the guy, I remember, told me to write down these names. Some It was some kind of Roman name. Uh, but basically, the, the, the what I remember was everybody that you can think of that was important was black. I think uh, uh, King James was black, the one that supposedly wrote the Bible. Um, I think Columbus was black. So everybody who was important was black. And I was like, um, okay, now... The whole Cesar Borgia thing, I knew from before, so they were not, again, telling me something that I didn't know. But uh, when it was my turn to speak, I had to decide whether I was going to upset these people. I was far from home. I had no gun on me. These people were strange to me. And I hit them up with something that I knew that they couldn't answer, which was, why is it that the King James Bible, because as you know, they favor the 1611, I asked them, how come the Bible said, I think in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 20, how come it says birds have four feet? Um, mm-hmm. And I remember that uh, the guy, he was starting to bite his nails in a nervous gesture. And long story short, I got kicked out of the of the mm-hmm. Bible study. And I, yeah. I never forgot how strange that was that um, I was getting kicked out. But um, that was the beginning of it. Um, eventually, I started to know who they were who they were, uh, they would come to go down uh, the strip of um, 441 State Road 7 in, in South Florida, and the brothers, as they call themselves, would go out in what is commonly referred to as their Power Ranger 
um, decor, you know, with the belt, etc. And uh, I went to the 411 building one more time with a, a friend of mine because I wanted protection and I wanted to kind of like have someone else be there to kind of witness what I experienced to see if I was crazy or not. And the second time that I went to that meeting, I remember um, noticing how they were very uh, authoritarian. Um, It was a group of people who I felt were down on their luck, um, who needed, like, a sense of identity. Um, They separated the women like the Muslims would, uh, and they did a lot of strange things. So... um, that was basically my exposure to them. And then I kind of felt, because at the time I was very, I was more combative, shall we say. I, I I wanted to battle anybody I could because I felt that I knew what I was talking about, whatever. And um, But I realized, and I think, I think I realized that these people were crazy. But I remember watching a video on YouTube and I saw at the end of that video, there was a list of groups that was supposedly listed on the FBI's terror list, and they were listed in that group. Mm-hmm. And I started I started to watch um, YouTube more because I discovered YouTube, and I saw more Hebrew-Israelite groups from all over the country just doing all kinds of crazy things. And I realized, man, it's not really worth it for me to go at these people because they might legitimately, you know, try to, you know, hurt me uh, all over some some, you know, fairy tales, basically. Uh, so yeah. that, that's a little bit of my background with the Hebrew-Israelite group. Um, still to this day, I, I don't understand the 12-tribe breakdown, so I don't know if you explained how they came up with that chart, but if you, if you know some information about that, I'd I really like to hear it. Well, um, like I said, according to my research, um, what they're doing now with the with the when the explanation of the twelve tribes, um, the historical aspect of that is is exactly what happened in the late eighteen hundreds. There was there was it, it's a a movement, you know, in its infant stages was uh, a dissatisfaction with the Christian Church. So in order to make the connection to and remember, like now we we think about it. Well, if we want to know anything about ourselves, we can just get DNA tests. You know what I mean? Certain people, um, you know, they they didn't know back at that time where did they come from. They know they came from Africa, but they didn't know where. So the best guess was to look into this book and make the connection to these mythical people, which you know, of course, they didn't think they were mythical. Um, so they make this this distinction and say, okay, well. And then the church that I went to was a more primitive form of it. So they would classify people into races. So the yellow man uh, would be the Asian people. The black man, of course, would be the um, the African Americans, as we say today here in the United States. The brown man would be like the Indian. Um, and then there's one more. The red man would somehow be uh, Esau, Jacob's brother. So that would be the red slash white man, or the white man would be uh, the Edomite, the uh, or which would what they call uh, Gehazi, who's said was to be cursed white. 
So that's a more primitive form of it. Now, what they do today when they say there's 12 tribes, they further it out. So you look around and you say, well, what people are in this book? So then they'll they'll say the the Native American is this, the the Latin people are this, and this tribe and that tribe and this other tribe. So they're just fixing these arbitrarily fixing these people to represent a tribe. There's no uh, scientific, there's no DNA uh, evidence to to uh, make this claim. It's just saying, well, it looks like that you know if you look at the situation that these people are in. It represents what was written in this book all these years ago, and I'm just going to tell you I'm starting off with I believe what's written in this book, so these people must fit this, these people fit this description, so it must be them. And um, in my eyes, that's that's the reasoning behind it. Um, you know, they never ask, <laughs> okay, who wrote this book, and does it have any it doesn't have any relevance to what's going on today. That forget about all that. We're just going to start and graft these different people into this um, to make it fit what was written in this book. So at the time, maybe in the 1600s, these these groups of people, which we know that the, the way that uh, the fact is that race is just an arbitrary, um, it's a social construct. You know, someone decided that everybody dark with broad noses and come from Africa, that's a race. And it, and people with uh, with slanted eyes or whatever, however they want to call it, and certain type of skin, okay, well, they're Asian. And we know that the, the fact is that everybody's just human. They're, they're more overwhelmingly more alike than different, you know. So... But, you know, you have this, this group of people who, with this primitive belief system uh, and this book that they use as, as they just believe it, and they come up with these really crazy ideas, and I, I believe it's crazy um, because it doesn't, it can't stand up to to any kind of um, challenge. You know, you can just, you just easily knock it down. So that's where the 12 tribes comes from. And like I said, in this primitive, in this primitive form, um, in the early 1800s, I'm sorry, early uh, 1900s, was just that, you know, these black, brown, this, nobody was talking about um, um, African-American, uh, Latin-American, and Caribbean-American, and, and you know, they weren't breaking it down that way. It, just, it was just based on color of skin. Okay. Um, wow. So many questions. Uh, well, I can tell you that my suspicion is that the power structure who headed the black Hebrew Israelites just broke down the different tribes based on the lineage of the people that were in charge. In other words, I noticed that uh, Judah is, I think, the African-Americans, and I think the Haitians are Levi. Um, and I suspect highly that whoever was in the rank and file who were high up in the, up the chain happened to be African-American and Haitian. I just don't think that we Haitians got um, assigned this very um, high ranking because the Levites in the Bible, you know, were probably the number two because ancient Israel basically ruled with a dualistic system where the king and the priest work together lockstep, um, would you say that's accurate? Well, 
I don't think they existed. So <laughs> I just think it's just a uh, it's just a myth. Like you know, we may as well be talking about you know the legends of Ultron or something like that because I there's no proof that none of this stuff um, actually existed. But you know, of course, um, you know the people that believe this stuff, yeah, they're going to make this hierarchy um, fit whatever. And just like whoever wrote these these books and established this myth, they had other, they had political reasons for setting themselves up as rulers. And, um, but in reality, you know, none of this stuff can be verified by anything, by archaeology, by, by, by nothing. So it's just like they just, just pulled it out of thin air. Um, but you know, it, it, it serves a purpose. It makes, a really horrible situation, the situation of slavery and and atrocity and lynching and and torture that the um, uh, that the European has the the havoc that he has has, has wrecked upon upon black people. Um, it is a response to that, you know. And, and yes, you want to have something to to respond to it, but, you know, we live in an age of technology. We live in an age where we can we have the power of uh, information at our, literally at our fingertips. We can, we can search things on our smartphones, verify things on our smartphones um, in, in real time. We can fact check in real time, and we can't, you know, we, none of that story can be verified. But uh, if a person believes that, then yes. If a person says, you know, look, I believe that the all the stuff in the Bible is true, then yes, the Levites were the, you know, they were the priestly. Um, the Jew, the the tribe of Judah was the one, of course, that was. Uh, I believe Judah was the oldest, but um, uh, yeah. So this is the one that's more important and better than all the others. So yes, in that case, you know, if you believe the story, then yes. Okay. I want to remind everybody who's listening out there, this is the Haitian Free Thinkers Radio Show. My name is Reggie. My guest tonight is Shelton Henderson. And if you wish to call in, the guest calling number is 657-383-1619. Once again, that's 657-383-1619. One of the things that comes to mind as uh, you were giving that great information is, well, you know, I can definitely understand um, why you say that none of this is actually true as far as the historical ancient Hebrews. But the Hebrew Israelites give this air of not only supremacy, but this air of confidence with scholarship. And they have their blue horns, they're talking loud, they they have their guy who reads, and then they're just being like all cocky. So... It, you know, they claim that they're very much into scholarship, so why is it that they don't discover what it is that we know about the Bible? Well, because I believe in my encounters with theists in general, they just start like, well, I believe it. They start they start at a, at a no foundation. They start with the assumption that their reading is, it's reality and it's true. So I believe that, I mean, in this case, I believe that this is true. Um, you know, this this book is true. And the reasoning that they give that the book is true is because the book says it's true. It's a circular reasoning. 
So they start then and they start talking all about these other things, but it's like, wait a minute, your whole foundation is based on circular reasoning, circular, it's a circular argument. So they'll state this, they make the statement the Bible is true and the Bible is written by uh, men who were inspired by the creator. But no, the Bible was written by men who say they were inspired by the creator that they're writing about. And that is not a position. You can't defend that position. You're just writing. That's just so, in other words, so if someone puts the Book of Mormon beside that and says, well, Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon because in the Book of Mormon, it says that Joseph Smith was inspired by the creator in the book that he wrote. It's just totally this loop there that you can't, um, you can't escape from because if you, if my question is always to someone who says the Bible is true because the Bible is true, then then you accept the Book of Mormon because the Book of Mormon says that it's true, but they'll say no, I don't believe the Book of Mormon. So it's just like they have a, um, a egocentric um, or sociocentric uh, reasoning for keeping meaning the Bible is true but they're not going to accept the same reasoning behind that the Book of Mormon is true. So they start there, and, um, you know, and you can't build anything from there. But that's why they're question. That's why you can question them. And one question is amazing that, okay, well, one question can throw you for a loop. And that's the thing that got me out of that belief system is like, well, if somebody can throw one question to me and I'm lost, it's like I can't, I can't live the rest of my life just trying to defend something like this, you know. So. They claim the scholarship. Their their scholarship is is weak. It's it's because you can ask you can that one question. So if you say that that's just one question, just based on this conversation, if you say that the Bible was inspired by God, then you really critically break break it down and say no. You would have to agree that men wrote the Bible. Yes, they wrote the Bible, and in the book that they wrote says that they were inspired. So that validates that book for them. And you just put it beside the Book of Mormon and say, well, let's look at this Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon, we're going to use the same criteria that you use for the Bible to, to validate the Book of Mormon. They won't accept the Book of Mormon because it's, it, it, you know, it would contradict, or any other book that would contradict what they said because that's faulty reasoning. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. I think what they might say against the Book of Mormon is that it came after the fact, like it was later, you know, much later. But I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Believe me, I, I agree. Mm-hmm. It's just that, you know, I just I just want to know if there's more people like you, more people like me within their ranks, because when I do meet them um, in uh, in real life, they just really want to get the message out. They don't want to let you speak, and if you are talking. They like to talk over you literally by shouting as if, well, I think it's a tactic that they discovered is very effective so that uh, they can drown you out, you know. And, um, I mean, people who are unfamiliar with them can find uh, find out more by, by you know, going on YouTube. Um, a question I have in reference to the black Hebrews from what you know, you know, I know that the Bible is flawed in in many ways. Uh, so, if a person becomes a Black Hebrew Israelite, um, or the, the the 
the higher members, the people that are more knowledgeable. What what I don't understand about them is um, have they solved all the problems within the Bible themselves? Do they address it? Like, how do they work with that? Because, like, to me, it doesn't make no sense for me to stop being, a let's say, a Christian and I become a Hebrew Israelite because it feels good, because I'm Haitian. And then now I feel like I have to carry the burden of all the contradictions, all the atrocities, the scientific um, things that are, are wrong and the silliness. Like, why? what is the attraction besides this um, feeling of belonging, like nationality or image? You know, like, scholarly speaking, why would I want to take on this thing? Well, I think that um, put in its historical context, again, if you go back um, to the reason that we have this group, is because these groups didn't just materialize within the, in the last 20 years. The whole purpose was to to kind of reconcile why black people are in the situation that they're in. And what we have today is... Um, uh, you know, an extreme version of that with the shouting down. Again, you know, if someone has to shout down your your uh, a challenge, that means that they have no argument, you know, because, you know, you want to make sure that you, you don't have to shout down anything when you have the truth on your side, when you have a lot. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a winning argument, there's no need to shout anything down because they, they can't answer it. That's why they shout it down. I could say that now I was involved with this growing up, so this was, I was born in 1962, so you can imagine through this time period, I grew up in the time period of the civil rights. Even though I was not grown, I I remember the times and I remember how um, being taught the way that I was taught, um, how I interacted with society based on that belief. Now, I could tell you what it did for me. It actually made it. <laughs> One positive in it that it made me feel that I was different, number one, um, it made me feel that I had a knowledge that other people did not have. You know, I had a knowledge of self is what they call. Um, uh, There was hope because it wasn't like, you know, you didn't have to live in despair because of the way you were treated. Um, And it also, with with most of these, these movements, they're, all through the uh, um, from the beginning, the late 1800s into the early 1900s, there were all sorts of religions that had an end time prophecy of the year 2000. So it also gave you a feeling that okay, in the end, there's going to be this big cataclysmic change near the year two. So those things, you know, made you, you know, you can imagine that kind of stuff makes you feel good because you know, okay, well. These people have wronged black people for for centuries. They're going to get their payback, and I'm going to see the payback in my lifetime. I have this special knowledge, and I am special. I'm connected to this creator because this, this creator chose me. We're just getting, you know, getting punished at this particular time, but the punishment is due to be over. So it has a lot of, it filled a lot of uh, needs, I would say, of the people that were uh, that were oppressed for centuries. So, you know, it really, it, it did those things. But unfortunately, it was built on a myth, you know, but it served its purpose. You there, Reggie? 
Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, I was saying that uh, at around the same time, there were other religious groups that were competing for the same um, demographics, if you will. So how did, in your opinion, how does the, the black Hebrew Israelites compare to the Nation of Islam and the Nuwabians? Well, for that, there were many, for, same, for that same. Well, there were many uh, Hebrew Israelite groups. There were the commandment keepers in uh, New York. There were um, you had the Prophet Crowdy's group who started out as Christian but evolved into a more Jewish type of a, a, a worship uh, service without the nationalistic. You had uh, in Philly uh, there was there was, it was really active in Philly Philly in New York. Um, there were groups that uh, branched off and had uh, so there was had uh, um, they started in Philly. Matter of fact, there was this uh, rabbi uh, Rabbi Abel Respis who started a group and they were originally started in Philly, but moved in uh, New Jersey. Um, you had many active groups, and this is where you have these what what we have as an evolution of these older groups are these various camps is what they call them now. But these camps right. came out of different, uh, different. you know, the, the foundation of these camps came out of, of commandment keepers and um, uh, all these other groups that were in, in Philly and New York mainly um, and moved to the south and moved to, you know, Virginia and things like that. So you had all these groups that came out of there. But then, as it evolved, and you had uh, also during the time you had the Moorish American, uh, the Moorish uh, Temple, uh, which Noble Drew Ali. Um, right. You had you had the Nation of Islam, which actually came out of that Moorish because there's many pictures of Elijah Muhammad and the Fez that are from where he where he was with, involved with the Moorish group, which break off into these. It's all the same thing again and again, splintering off and starting up movements and, um, you know, but the, the demographic is that giving the people, the, the, the dem, you're going at the demographics and your product is hope. Your product is, soup, is a, a solutions for the reason you're in the predicament that you're in, you know, so it's selling, it's selling hope. And it's, the packaging could be in Islam, could be in Hebrew Israelite, could be in uh, Moorish Temple, could be in um, uh, Marcus Garvey, could be in um, all kind of different uh, rappers. But in the end, the the real product is hope. So even if it's Christian uh, and, and a, wrapped in a Christian package, it's Father Divine, it's uh, Daddy Grace, it's all these different movements, but they're selling hope in the end. They're selling hope. And they're selling the end time, and that that's what all those religions from the beginning of the uh, nineteen uh, hundreds, all these re religions had an end. They all had the same theme. Okay, there's an end time coming, and this is how we're selling our product, and this is the wrapping. Now, during those time frames, that must have been extremely attractive. What is it about today's climate that you think would keep these uh, in business to sell hope in those different packages? Well, I think for people, I mean, it's like you're going to have this certain amount of people that um, who don't research. They they are very, really impressed by, 
you know, the way that someone speaks and things like that. And it's, it's like you said, your encounter with, you know, you can find people who are down and out and they have no solution. They're not doing anything. So they want someone to blame or, um, you know, so you, you have a group of people who can fulfill those needs. Um, but, you know, the reality is that, um, you know, we, we're entering, we are in an age of, I think, of enlightenment and access to information to whereas, um, you know, the, the, these things are easily refuted, whereas before the information was not available um, and, and definitely not at the speed that you can gather. You can real-time fact-check people. You know, someone's telling you that um, Christopher Columbus was black and that uh, King James was black. You can... You know, you can say, hold on for a second and, you know, look, all the information I'm finding is King James is white and he, had, he did this and he did that and he wrote these other books and, you know, the the Bible in its cur- uh, current form wasn't uh, translated into the 1600s and, you know, there were many times that they went back and forth with the translation. So, you know, where did it, where the original documents come from and, you know, why if they're translating this thing in England, that they're writing about black people in America, it's like it doesn't make sense. So, you know, you can real-time fact-check people, So, but you have people who don't, who are satisfied with uh, the way things were done before and say, okay, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a Hebrew Israelite and I'm special, you know, the, the creator, you know, picked me and my people, people that look like me, we're the chosen people, you know, look at our history and you know, who, who they're talking about. There's nobody on this earth that ha- fits all these characteristics in this book but us. And then, you know, look at all the breakdowns. You can look into the Caribbean and the United States and you see this, that, and other things. So that's this tribe, that tribe, and the other tribe. So I think it's just something that makes people feel good, feel superior, feel like, you know, there's hope. The same thing that the um, other generations would appeal to them would appeal to the people who are who are making, you know, who are making um, you know, have the same desires today. Okay, uh, that's that's. Uh, I think that's pretty much on point. I I, I totally agree. Now, um, for me, when I was going through my evolution be- before I became an atheist in August two thousand nine, one of the big turning points for me was when I asked the head pastor of my church, uh, Pastor Maxi from Emmanuel. Uh, Baptist Emmanuel Haitian Baptist Church in uh, South Florida. Um, I, I developed a um, reputation for being unsufferable in my question asking. I mean, I knew so much. I felt that it was very important. And uh, one of the things that I never really asked was, why is it that the Jews rejected Jesus? And we just kind of took these, this question for granted, I think. The Christians have a stock answer, which... Um, eventually I found out was not true. At least that's not what the Jews tell to their groups, to their kids. So I asked Pastor Max, I said, why is it that the Jews rejected Jesus? And he told me that it was because they were sinners. And I felt that if he, well, that answer was so insulting to my intelligence that I had to go out and find the answer for myself. And at the time, and, and still now, we have a large Jewish, Jewish population in South Florida. So I was wondering why I never, it never dawned on me to ask a Jew directly. So I ended up um, calling the Jews for Jesus, I'm sorry, Jews for Judaism, people who are the counter-missionary version 
of Jews for Jesus, and uh, the lady was very nice to me. Her name was Miss um, Taylor, um, and she sent me information in the mail. She told me the answers and blew my mind. I ruled in favor of the Jews at the time that Jesus is not the Messiah. He's not anything what, you know, the Christians tell each other. So my question to you is this. The, the black Hebrew Israelites are some sort of mix between Judaism and um, Christianity as I would call classic Christianity. But if they're so, again, studious, how come they don't know what the so-called white Jews know? That is to say the reason why Jesus is not the Messiah, it's all in the Bible. It's not like something that they're making up from the outside. It certainly is not what we were telling each other as Christians from when I was growing up. Um, so, again, how is it that they're able to straddle this Jewish Christian mix and love Jesus and all that kind of stuff? How does that work? Well, you know, I grew up believing this. I grew up believing this, that, and like this, it, it, and I agree with you 100%. It is a melding, uh, I, I call it Hebrew Christianity. Um, but the fact of the matter is that the Old Testament, um, in its form, uh, was collated at a, over time. There were books that were found and, and put together by, um, I think it was called a Council of Jamnia, but I'm not I'm not exactly sure. That's um, the one. But, Council of Jamnia yeah. happened between the year 200 BC and the year 280. That's correct. Right. Now, um, okay, so people decided the un, again unknown people um, decided at, at, at unknown date or within a span of dates decided that the, these collection of books were scripture. These were sacred writings of the religion. We know for a fact that the Catholic Church was the one that decided the Catholic Catholic Church and also um, the Ethiopian Church and the the Eastern Orthodox Church decided that certain putting around and not even really books, just stories that were floating around uh, in ancient times were scripture. And that um, you know there was a, con- a time when connections were made to these old books. But actually, uh, when you look in the New Testament, it, they were actually say so that the prophecy can be um, fulfilled. You know that is actually written in the New Testament to con- to make the connection to what was written in these old books. You know it's like they created this savior, they created this Jesus character. Um, to fulfill, so that when they say to fulfill, in my mind, it's to, it means really to connect and to make legitimate the books that we have or the stories that we have come up with and have established as uh, through ecumenical creeds um, and councils, we have created this um, list of books that we say are sacred. Now, all those books are different. It's just the different books that the Catholics say that are sacred, the Eastern Orthodox say that are sacred, and the uh, Ethiopians say that are sacred. They're all different Bibles, basically. Um, so, and then you have these stories that, you know, they're so crazy that, you know, you have a story, a book about Mary, a book about um, stories about this other Jesus or these other Jesus stories and things like that. So, 
there's a lot of other things that have gone on, but we know for for a fact that there's different Bibles out uh, during this time. So um, the reason that, you know, the Jews, uh, number one, reject that is that for one other reason, because of that, because they're well aware that all these councils and things created the story to connect the Christian myth with the with the Judaic myth, um, because you have Jews who do not. The way I was trained when I went to to learn Hebrew and to be able to conduct services in Hebrew, um, the only books that I was reading and was taught to read were the Torah was the first five books. So that was it. Nothing else was important. <laughs> and in addition, in addition, people of Israel were not looking for a savior to get them to the sky. They were looking for a savior to get them into land, to get them into a station in the world. You know, so it wasn't about dying and resurrecting and sinning and things like that. It was about getting into the and it's all myth, but about getting into the land. This land was promised to you from uh, this creator. Uh, actually, not even the creator. It was it was given to you by the God. Uh, the God, uh, uh, basically, the the big the one of the little G's, which was Yahweh, and. So this particular God that was given to you by the Most High God, which is El. So El uh, has these 12 sons, and your God is Yahweh, and Yahweh has promised you this particular land. So it's it's just all just this, this myth, like I said, which, you know, you just, you know, it sounds like a, it's just fiction, really, just like this, you know, these fictional stories, and which are not based in reality. So that's that's the connection that, that is there. So it's just connections of myths and um and people that, you know <laughs> that uh, attribute, you know, okay, my God is bigger than your God. I don't know if you have ever um watched this uh I I used to be I used to love uh, Conan a barbarian back when Arnold Schwarzenegger was young and there was a scene in there when he's talking they're talking amongst each other and they said, Well my God is uh uh, I forget the name of his God, but his God was better than the other God, and his God liked to get drunk and he didn't care about anybody. The other guy he was talking to, yeah, uh, Conan's God was Prom. So Prom was like, you know, this guy that didn't care. He liked to have parties and get drunk and be with women, and he didn't care about how he felt. The other guy's God was, you know, he cared about everything. And, you know, they get to pick and choose their own myths. So um, that's what I think that's what what's going on today. Is exactly the same thing that went back in, in primitive time. I I couldn't have said it any better. And these things are not, you know, I, everything you're talking about. I I'm, I know about them. I just it's like I don't know if I'm I'm crazy in the sense that I'm such a nerd because I I actually find I find the subject very fascinating. And I'm going to segue this to Brother Sal in in his show because when you were. Uh, uh, commenting on that thread, they were asking you why are you worried about the you know the religion and the Bible on this Sabbath evening, you know. Um, but I know about what you're talking about. I know about the pantheon of gods. I know uh, I forgot where it says that you know I think it's Psalms how 
God had was amongst the council, the other gods, you know. Yeah. Um, and then you can you can trace the uh, the the basically uh, polytheism of the early Jews in Genesis itself, even though it's been twisted to be uh, supposedly the the Jews say that uh, when when in the Genesis where let us let us make man, uh, the Jews say that that the the God was talking to his angel creatures. And the Christians say that it was the Trinity talking amongst itself. So, so you either pick a schizophrenic God, or a God who's talking to his um, slaves. So whichever one that you want, that's up to you. But um, it was there's clues in there that you know the Jews were polytheists and they slowly evolved, and and the Christians kind of straddled that line. And I know that the Jews were Hellenized. I know that they were influenced by the Babylonians, and so on and so forth, the Romans, I'm sure. So, I don't know. These people are, are very, very um, hard-headed, um, but they claim to be scholars. But even amongst them, they keep breaking off. You know, you know. there's, uh, you know, the Jehovah Witnesses. You have the uh, Seventh-day Adventists. You have um, the Mormons, obviously. I mean, it's just almost comical except that from my perspective, these things are causing people to die in real life. And that's really why I, you know, I'm passionate to kind of wake people up to say that this is all BS. You don't have to do this. And uh, these things have real life consequences. But um, as far as um, debate talk for you, uh, I, I have my history of how me and you met each other on the show that we did together. But for those who don't know about the Big Talk for You, can you give them a little background of what what the show is about and how we, you and I, came on the show that, that one time? Yeah, I, I was looking at that, and I think we did, the first time I, uh, before I did any debates, I, I heard a roundtable, um, well, actually it was it was a debate atheist versus theist, kind of in a roundtable forum. And I just looked that up today. That was uh, two, three years ago. Um, debate talk for you. Um, I've been, I've done, I, I say about three or four debates plus participated in roundtables. And I think the last roundtable you and I were in together again, another atheist versus uh, theist. And. Um, I mean, I have to say that um, initially I really enjoyed the um, the format. I do call in when they have their debates, but lately I have to say that um, it, it, it's just it's getting to the point where I cannot make any kind of connection because, again, the people make the assumption that they, they believe what they're talking about is true, but they don't even consider that is based on on a on no foundation at all. But um it it has been a good um forum to bring in other perspectives and I think the uh, host style is pretty good with that. Um but when you call in <laughs> to question these guys, um last time I called in I was speaking with Brother Josh and um I mean, they don't even want to deal with, you know, they just want basically inside of the inside of the locker room type of uh, talk. You know, don't question the fact that, you know, well, 
you know, you're talking about something which you have no proof that even exists. So, but you, you're on step, you know, step 10, and we haven't even established that what you're talking about is even true. And any time that I get into a conversation, any time I ask a question like that, it, it, the conversation's over. I mean, I, I get disconnected. Um, I get muted. Um, and um, I don't think that they um, they don't have an answer. That's the, that's the thing. You don't have an answer and prove what you're talking about is actually true. You're way into, like, a fan fiction type of conversation, um, you know, uh, which is, and I, I kind of wanted to bring this out, which is bringing me to the point of wanting to just take the uh, the step to say, you know, I am willing to uh, challenge a anybody to a debate on that forum to, to make the claim, which atheists normally just make the claim, you know, put the uh, burden of proof on the on the believers. Um, I'm getting to the point where I'm willing just to take the burden of proof to say for sure, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna make the statement that the God of the Bible because I noticed that you mentioned that the last round table that you had and I saw another person on YouTube do the same thing. Uh you made a statement, I can say for sure that the God of the Bible is not the creator because um when we have these discussions with the with the theists, they'll they'll make an argue a designer God Say well, look at all the stuff that happened. It had to be designed, you know. It had to be this. It had to be that because you just couldn't make itself and blah blah. All the old tired arguments, but they never have to defend the God of the Bible, who's actually the one that actually did it. So I mean, I, I there's there's a compelling case to dismiss the God of the Bible as the creator of anything other than, you know, coming from the mind of primitive men. You know who 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 came from made up a story uh, for political reasons, for control reasons, and things like that. So, um, you know that that's my response and my experience with uh, debate talk for you. Um, and um, you know I have to and <laughs> leave it there for you know. Okay, well I'll I'll give you a little bit of my background. Uh, I. I've been at this for years. I started reading the Bible in 2003, came out as an atheist finally in 2009, um, reconnected with a, a good friend of mine named Max, who's a Seventh-day Adventist. He connected me to uh, Brother Stanley, and uh, I, I would be, I remember the first time I spoke to Stanley, um, I was at uh, at Drill in Florida because, uh, uh, you know, I'm a National Guardsman. And uh, while people are sleeping, I'm over there like the big nerd that I am talking religion to this guy. And um, eventually I I get uh, invited by Sal to like basically battle because Sal comes from New York. So, you know, New York has the big hip hop community in history. So the way Sal came at me, he was like, yo, son, like, let's do this. And I'm like, do you know who you're talking to? You know, so I'm a monster. I'm nasty with mine. And it's like, let's do this. I love it. And I have a little bit of formal training in debating, too. So when I was asked to be on the roundtable slash debate, um, I kept asking Sal, like, what exactly are we going to be talking about? Because I'm a tactician with mine. You give me a topic, I started to hit the books. I needed to line up. I mean, I knew my stuff, but I just wanted to come with it, you know, precise and correct and give you references. And then um, as the 
time drew by, the topic started to change and, you know, so I would, I would message Sal and I'm like, uh, what's going on? Give me the information that I need. And then by the time I got on the show, it was a little bit more freestyle, laid back. Let's talk about it, and which is fine and everything. But it's like I started to do my scholarship work and I felt like my time was wasted a little bit. So I would message Sal and I'm like, hey, um, are you interested in finding out what I consider the truth? And because I'm going to give you all this information, you know, because I'm trying to, from my perspective, help you see or understand where I'm coming from. And uh, Sal basically made it known that he was a believer and he kind of can't agree with me because that's just not what he wants to do. And basically, truth is not really what he's all about. He's more the moderator. And right. I was very disappointed. I was very disappointed. I'm like, look, I'm doing work here. And um, I got I deployed to Afghanistan in 2012, 2013. And I was invited to go on the show again. And uh, Stanley was there. And that's when um, Brother Josh from... Um, What's the name of his group? Bible study. Yeah, absolute uh, Bible truth. Yeah, absolute Bible truth. So that's when I run into that that gentleman. So what I'm very upset about still to this day is that when I was asked to be on the show, I used to get up at three, four o'clock in the morning, go through snow and slush, go to an office, use uh, uh, like a calling card to burn minutes. You know, saying so I can get on the show because I love this kind of stuff and I love to express all the information that I know because I have I know a lot and I know that I'm, what I have is better than whatever the, the the believers have. So it turned into this crazy exchange of ideas. It was one of the things that I didn't appreciate is that it's not it wasn't structured the way I thought it would be, and. And then I got hit with the presuppositional apologetics tactic that Stanley brought to the table. And I, I let it get under my skin because it was such BS and it was a waste of my time. And I was up like like 5 o'clock in the morning. I had to work like 12-hour shift halfway across the world. So, um, yeah, that's my... That's my bone to pick with all, all those guys. But uh, Stanley, I think, is, you know, overall a, a good guy. Um, Brother Josh, I'm not sure because I've reached out to him like, yo, let me get on your show. Let's let's let's, let's do this, you know what I'm saying? And when you had hit me up, when you were having that exchange with them, I kind of feel like right now it's like where the big talk for you is, is all about ratings. Uh, it's not so much about substance. And the last show that I appeared on, I was listening to the believers. There was a young lady and a young guy. And the stuff that they were saying was so off the wall that it takes a lot of stress on me to have to teach the believers certain things. And I feel that it comes off arrogant that I'm having, I'm having to teach them about certain basic things, basic terms. And so it's kind of like, oh, well, whatever, you, you believe in these crazy things. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like you said about the information being accessible, what we're talking about is documented. I've sent the information to Sal, so I know that he knows. Um, if if uh, Josh accepted me in his group or personally, I can send him the information because this is not my perspective. I I can back up what I'm talking about. So that's what makes it so frustrating 
to be dealing with those guys because they make it seem like it's a it's a battle of uh, subjective perspective. Like you like this kind of ice cream, I like this kind of ice cream, but let's mm-hmm. see how many people like my kind of ice cream. So, so basically, like I would hear there was a like a like a chat um, thread that was after the debate that um, 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 I think a brother Stanley had with with me and uh Stanley said it correctly. He said like his people that listen that believe what he believes in thought that Stanley did well. People who were atheists thought that I did well. So it's kinda yeah. like you know when I come to like a show, when I do a debate, I don't even mind losing as long as the judge and this is one of the things that I ask Sal about, like you know, the the the, the layman cannot judge me in a way because they're layman. I mean, it sounds maybe a little bit stuck up, but if a judge says, okay, Reggie, you lost this debate and here's why, I have no problem mm-hmm. with that. The, the judge right. would say, you committed you committed this fallacy. You said that this verse was located in this chapter, but it's not. That's, that's, that's what I understand a debate to be. You see what I'm saying? So I have a little bit of an issue with that, but besides that, I've been trying to get at Josh um, I think that if it wasn't for this religious stuff, he would be excellent at other things. I think that he's spending a lot of his time doing this thing because it's his passion, and that's fine. But if he were to apply his intellect and his research skill and some other, um, I think, more useful areas, I don't know where this guy could go because I think that he's, in fact, you know, um, intelligent. But... Um, Right now, it looks like like I think he looks at me anyway, like I'm some sort of uh, what do you call it? like uh, not a heckler, what do you, a troll, you know, and that's unfortunate. Right. But but it's kind of like I know too much, and at my patience is very thin when I know that it's all BS, like you kind of mentioned earlier. Yeah, I I have encountered that. Like I said, it, it's but and like I said, I, I I'm. And my wife says to me, she's like, why do you go on there? Because you know that most of the people listening are believers. But really, that's not the audience that I'm trying to uh, appeal to while I'm on there. Basically, what I'm, who I'm trying to appeal to is the person that's not buying it, you know, hook, line, and sinker, to the person that has questions and has the courage to put these questions forward because, the people that have this vested interest in continuing to believe that they're, you know, it's hardly likely that they're going to change. But I got to tell you, when I was doing my research and when I really specifically started looking online and started looking at debate, um, you know, we, we're the way things are, most people, we're in a situation where most people believe. So, but the stronger arguments are for the, the skeptics have the stronger arguments and, and, so hopefully in other generations, you know, we're leaving um, material out there for other young people to come through and people who finally have the courage to question, you know, what they've been programmed to believe, they can listen to both sides of the argument, you know. So we know that most of the believers are going to say, yeah, well, hey, man, you did a great job, but, you know, you did a great job because if you didn't do a great you know, you're on my team. <laughs> You said all the right things, and our team feels good about your performance, but in reality, your arguments were weak and they were fallacious. 
uh, when you when you when an objective uh, listener comes in and says, "Well, you know, yeah, he sounds good," and they were hooping and hollering, and he was raising his voice and everything like that, and then all you know, the 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 next ten calls came in and told him he did great, but in reality, his argument was weak. You know, and I I can't accept that as an argument, so I'm going to go with this other. I'm going to at least see what this other person says and do my research and see, you know, what they made the stronger argument. Yeah. No, I totally understand and I agree, but uh, I still learn, um, even though I'm, I guess, frustrated and I have to listen to some of the old tired arguments. Um, and I hear what Josh has to say, Stanley has to say. Because if it wasn't Stanley, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have found out about this thing called the presuppositional apologetics, which has been the thing that I've been um, watching YouTube videos on lately. So my question to you is, um, what happens if two of those groups get together? Whether it's um, you have kind of like a debate between a Hebrew Israelite and a Nation of Islam type person where they're kind of close in their approach in their in their demographics, or you have somebody like the presuppositional apologetics people that are white, like Saiten Bruggenkate and Jeff Durbin, versus um, I don't know, um, maybe again the Black Hebrew Israelites who are very um, determined to to say not no, not only are you wrong, but we can prove it using the Bible. Like, how how does that work where they're using the same book, but they're coming, finding different, um, different, um, I guess, endings or different results from their so-called research? How does that work? How do, how do they um how do they justify that kind of stuff in in their brain? Well, uh, well, to me, it's just it's. Um, I mean, I love seeing those debates because it's just like saying, um, you know, like say my Avengers are better than your Avengers. You know what I mean? It's just like you're arguing over. It's this complete nonsense because none of it is based in reality. And you know, a skeptic to me, a skeptic would say, well, uh, first of all, none of this stuff has any connection, there's no historical context to anything you're saying. It's, it's silly, really, to me. It's just, it's like, you know, me watching my two grandsons just say, well, you know, I'm Batman. Batman's stronger than uh, whoever the other character. I'm Batman's stronger than Spider-Man. No, but Spider-Man jumped on the, on the, on, he can climb up walls, and Batman, well, Batman has um, all these different trinkets and gadgets and stuff. He can get up wall. Okay, well, um, you know, this one has, you know, it's, 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 not, it's childish nonsense to me when you're trying to say, well, you know, Islam is true and Hebrew, Hebrew is right to wrong. Um, this faction of Hebrew is right, the Messianics are right, and the non-Messianics are not. You know, it's just complete childish nonsense to me um, on that end. Um, based on on the presuppositional um, projects, which I have listened to many many arguments on that, um, and the way that the the, the presupposition presuppositional argument is used, to, you know, I don't even know if it's still used the way Sides and Bruggen can use it, but um, it's 
is it's a filibuster. It's not even an argument. It's not even an honest. It's not even a debate. Um, it's just a filibuster tactic to, to frustrate you till you just give up <laughs> and out of frustration. Right. Um, right. And it, it, it's not even a good a debate. It's not even a good forum for it because he never. Whenever he tries to employ it, it's always in a discussion. It's never in a formal debate because in a formal debate, he just winds up, um, you know, castigating you for for sins and threatening you with the with hellfire at the end because he has no argument. But in a discussion, which he prefers to do that argument in a discussion, it's just like you know somebody just will wear you down. Well, why? Uh, what's this question? How do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know that? How do you know you're not? How do you? And like to just it's just to shut you up, you know. It's not an honest argument. It's not anything. Um, uh, it, it's, it's garbage. Um, and if you ever go to his website, it's just like going into an endless loop. His website has a question which brings you to a question. Is this something that somebody came up with who were, who had no argument, um, who decided, you know what, I'm just going to filibuster the conversation and just frustrate you by continually asking you nonsense questions like how do you know that? How do you know that? How do you how do you know you're not how do you know how do you know you're not absolutely true? How how do you know just on and on and on and on and on until you say if you admit one thing that okay I got you on that and I'm gonna, you know, so it's just it's all nonsense because it's none of it's true. So it's just these ploys and tactics that are being used, including just ending the debate when you don't, um, ending the conversation when you don't agree, and they will just walk away and say, well, I won because, you know, this guy is this, he's that, yeah, blah, 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 blah. and <laughs> I don't have to talk to him anymore. So, now, is um, it, what, is it, I, I agree with you once again, uh, but my question to you is, would it, like, when I had the the very frustrating I guess the debate with Stanley when I was in Afghanistan, he got under my skin or his uh, argument got under my skin. And um, I basically challenged the notion that um, God revealed things to Stanley by asking Stanley to reveal who was going to be the Super Bowl winner and what was the score and who was going to be the MVP. Are those fair questions to ask the believer who thinks that God talks to them? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that debate. I, I, can you just ask the last? I, I, I heard what you said when you um, and I, I listened to that debate. And um, uh, when when they at, when he, when you ask him that question, they try to really just kind of laugh it off or or call it ridiculous or whatever. Um, and like I did. Um, debate with him and he tried that same ploy but um knowing that and and I you know I like Stanley I, I actually had conversations with him after the debate but I mean he, he the way he tried to do that was it was just really horrible um it wasn't <laughs> um you know he he was trying to just make just filibusters to get you to say or get whoever was debating them to say that you gave up knowledge. It's like, well, what does that have to do with anything? So you gave up knowledge, so it's the end of the conversation because like, I'm going to just plant my flag, claim victory, and run away. End the conversation now because, you know, you gave up knowledge. 
Um, but, you know, there's holes in that whole, uh, of course, in that whole sub, uh, precept argument. Um, you're, you're not, you. the only way you are supposed to have knowledge, according to that filibuster tactic, is that um, you can only get knowledge from God, but there are verses in the Bible which definitely contradict that because um, they say that um, only through only through the Creator you get this knowledge, but the Bible says that all men don't have this. So uh, they just take a verse in Romans out of context and build a defense around it. Really, that's all it is. Um, and it's irritating. I've got to tell you, it's irritating. The most irritating person ever to use it was is Ten Brusengate because you know he's just like this guy who's hard selling you this nonsense, you know. And the the whole purpose of the the uh, tactic is to get you to shut up and get you to get so frustrated uh, <laughs> that you want to just say, you know what, forget about it. Now, um uh, here is he's an ugly human being. In fact, um uh Stanley was the one that uh, texted me saying, you know, there's a chance I might get a chance to debate Saiten Bruggenkate and then he told me about this guy named Jeff Durbin and Jeff Durbin I didn't know, so I, I, I researched him and I kept um listening to his stuff and um I, I'm I'm gonna try to make some, some videos about Durbin, because there's a lot of stuff out there by uh, about Saiten Bruggenkate, but not enough about uh, Jeff Durbin. But um, basically, I've learned a lot still because people have gone and shown why their arguments are fallacious. But I, I want to know what I want. I want to see a debate between two presuppositional apologists from two different religions. Namely, I want to see Jeff Durbin. Talk to um, Hamza Sorsis, Sorsis from Ayer. I don't know if you know about Hamza. Know, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Greek guy so, that's a Muslim. Exactly. They 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 kind of like marry each other. They are youngish. They are in decent shape. They have the beard thing. They are cocky and they are stupid. So <laughs> they can they can, like, get together and frustrate each other, and I can kind of use that as a way to say, this is what you sound like to me. And hopefully right. um, that kind of brings something to the form. However, I was thinking, you know, I think I make a mistake when I uh, think about these people as if, like, they care about that which is true. They care about... Um, uh, in other words, like if, if Jeff Durbin or Saiten Bruggenkay were to make any kind of mistake, even with their own theology, I don't think that they have the kind of honor to say, you know what, I was wrong about this. Not to say that they're going to become atheists, but that they made a philosophical error, they made a um, a, a logical fallacy. I don't think that they, they are that kind of people, and I think the reason is they make a lot of money selling um, their snake oil to gullible people, and uh, right. I would tell them that to their face. Right, I, I agree with you one hundred percent, and that's why I say they have they have other reasons for defending, um, because you're going to find that you have an audience for your product, you know, and it's going to be 
uh, uh, DVDs and subscriptions and things like that. You're telling people something, you know, they have a vested interest in having people believe a certain type of way. I mean, that's the whole, to me, the whole purpose of the filibuster uh, argument called the uh, presuppositional argument because um, it really never, um, you never get to the point. And, I mean, if that argument is really... um, it's really easy to rebut, but they never want to let you get to that point because number one, um, and I've, I've heard it rebutted. I've, I've actually heard uh, side ten gluten cake taken apart uh, on several occasions. One, particularly when the um, person he was asking his unending line of questions to got him to specify exactly what God are you talking about? Because they always argue for the designer God. You know, they, they're not talking specifically about the Canaanite deity El and his, uh, the sons of El, which is what the myth is, is based on. Once you get them to commit to that, he has all kind of problems. This guy, he has nothing but this tactic out of one um, verse in Romans, or with, you know, one or two or three verses in Romans, and that's it. But you know, um, it, it's a easily, it's, you know, when you look at it, to me, uh, my experience is when you look at it for what it is, it's just like somebody that's trying to hard sell you. <laughs> they they set up this wall, this this wall of um, to keep, they have their own interest in keeping this uh, story intact. So instead of um, presenting a, a compelling argument for their position, they put up the presuppositional wall, and that's it, you know. Yeah, I I think that's exactly right. I think um, I, I want to know what they're um, what kind of money they're they're making. I know people pay for them to travel, so in a way, I can I can totally understand that. I believe I would not be surprised if they're out there having sex with groupies, if they're having sex with little boys. I have no respect for any of them, and I am not surprised at the least if they're doing drugs. I've seen a video where um, FS the YouTube the YouTuber FSX23 had Saiten Bruggenkate and um, the Hoven um, son. Um, forgot his right. name right now. It's Hoven, yeah. Yeah, they basically admit that it's a hustle, and they were in a diner. Um, and uh, they were laughing it off, but like they were being taped, and I don't know how they let that go, you know, whatever. But it's a hustle, and uh, you know, the father Hoven just came home from jail for tax evasion. These people are are slimy, they're disgusting, um, and they're making money hand over foot because they know that this snake oil has been a bestseller for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. The only thing is for me is that uh you know their their beliefs have repercussions, you know. Like I was watching a documentary on ISIS and I know ISIS I knew ISIS was bad, but they were showing executions uh, mm-hmm. to people and these were not white people, these were fellow local they may not be Muslim necessarily, but they kill Muslims too, you know. And I'm reminded about the power of 
of religion in the most evil sense. And so I get re-motivated to challenge even the tiniest bit of what seems to be insignificant um, apologetics to say, no, no, you are not going to um, say whatever you say without being challenged or ridiculed. Um, This is not benign, you know, um, and if it was up to Saiten Brugicate, we would live in a theocracy, you know. Right. Um, And so... That 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 has been done before, and um, I I don't want that. Um, right. And so I think it's important that we put out material, like you said, that you know we're coming at these cats from all different angles. That they're not they're basically they're they're terrible people. Um, right. And uh, this veil of of holier than thou is, is just it's it's not working. But you know one of the things that that is missing from all of that is a sense of sincerity because um, the notion of being wrong is not an option for them. The notion of what you're talking about um, as far as everything that they believe in being legend or myth is not an option. And I think it's because there's an emotional uh, umbilical cord that's attached to their belief system um, and I totally understand it because I used to be a believer or whatever, but still, you know, one of the things that re- religious people tap as one of their superpowers is their ability to be honest and forthright. And uh, I found that they are they are not like that necessarily, especially when money is involved. And um, I don't like it. And so I'm not necessarily interested in calling in Sal's show when I have better things to do. Uh, Sometimes I listen because I want to be entertained, but there's other things for me to look at now. Um, But I think it's worthwhile because these concepts have gotten people killed. Um, And we have a lot of people in the middle, the, the, what do you call the, they're not the liberals, but the people who don't think that the Bible is harmful, the people who don't think that the Quran and Islam is harmful, they're like, well, you know, maybe there's some kind of middle ground interpretation. No, the extremists have the desire, the guns, and the motivation and the scripture to back up what they're saying. This is real, you know. So these people have to make those decisions, and I think it's important that we keep pushing that envelope to say, look at what look at what you believe in and to tell me not only does does it make sense, but is it harmful because it's caused a lot of people harm. Um, For example, I was watching um, um, a preview to a movie. Well, there's two movies coming out of interest uh, that are of interest. One is called The Witch, which Mm -hmm. is like like a Blair Witch Project meets the, the Scarlet Letter A. And the reason why I think that's a horrible movie is because the Bible says, you know, you're not supposed to let witches live. And there was a video floating on Facebook uh, about people in Africa killing little children, uh, own parents. They are burning their children, sending them to these charlatan people to, uh, and they have to pay these large amounts of money to cure them of witchcraft. And on top of that, imagine if you know someone who practices Wicca, 
who is an actual witch. I don't know too much about the Wiccan religion, but here you are, the enemy, the Christians, are demonizing you once again because Hollywood recycles stories. It's kind of like when Hollywood tells stories about the Haitian um, uh, animist religions, the the African voodoo, right? When you're seeing the story of your people being told for the masses in a completely you know, this honest way, and then you being in the minority try to tell the people, no, no, this is not right. They don't even want to listen to you. They don't understand the harm that it can do. Not, you know, today they don't kill witch women like they used to do back in the day with the witch's hammer, um, but um, they're still pe- perpetuating these things. And the next movie, which is of um, um, interest, is this thing called Risen, that they're about to put out where some sort of Roman soldier is telling, I guess, his perspective on the whole Jesus, quote-unquote, passion uh, where Jesus gets murdered, and now they're going to try to uh, placate to the Christians to make it as as if it was historically viable that Jesus did, in fact, come back to life. And so here we are in 2016. We're still dealing with these things, and... I think the only reason why is because it's it pays off. It's it's very lucrative to make up these these uh, these movies. Right. It's true. It's true. It's uh. I mean, when you have people that are um, typically researching things, you know, you sit you sit in front of a uh, TV or movie theater or any kind of entertainment device, and you think it's just you know what you're what you're looking at is harmless, but it's actually uh propaganda and and brainwashing you know it's you you have to actively engage and know and be watch actively the things that are going on to 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 spot the brainwashing and propaganda um, unfortunately, most people are not i think what is happening though uh with the Availability of information, you know, you have, there are going to be people who are skeptics who start making, answering those questions, and then when they encounter the other people, I think, um, you know, light bulb almost has to go, if they, if you engage them, it has to go off, like, you know, if, if something's brought to their attention, they have to deal with it, you know, they're, they're going to be constantly encountering you, Um and that's the reason I think it's it's good for the for the, the that chant for debate talk for you and for all of these things. It's like it's like it's not to win, it's just to 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 uh win the fight in some cases because the battle is bigger than one fight, you know. Right. Um I I think that's a hundred percent true. Um one of the things that you mentioned that caught my attention that that I think you already know about, but I wanted to go over is the Romans chapter one verse that is always used to prove that we are actually believers that are suppressing the truth in unrighteousness, which is oh, it's BS, but yeah. it's it's such um it it causes me cognitive dissonance because what they're talking about. I mean, there's an answer even in their own chapter. Um, basically, I just want to read a small ex- excerpt of this uh, famous passage, but it says that 
For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And the reason why I'm reading that is because I know from reading my Bible and doing my research that Paul went around to different parts of the old world talking, excuse me, talking crap. And in this book, the Roman Romans, he went to Rome and he was talking crap. This is obviously talking to the Roman audience because as atheists, we did not exchange anything. And um, when at least I'm not uh, creating images um, like a mortal human being or bird or animal or reptile. So that was for a specific audience at a specific time, but a lot of these presuppositional apologetic, uh, apologists would say that this applies to atheists specifically and non-believers in general because we kind of know from creation that, you know, God exists and that we're, we're trying to um, suppress it and we actually want to sin, which is a really silly thing, but um, I don't know, like, um, it doesn't, you don't have to be Bart Ehrman to understand these things. It's very simple. Right. And um, it's frustrating a little bit, but uh, at the same time, um, you know, this is, I, I think you're right. This is the age of information. I remember when I was a young man, um, when I first came to the United States, um, I had a friend. Uh, who was Jamaican, who lived across the street. And I remember going to his house, and his mother, you know, bought him the Encyclopedia Britannica, and that whole set of books cost well over $1,000, which in today's money must be like four or $5,000. And yeah. I remember I was like, oh, my God, Philip. His name was Philip. Your mother must love you. Look at what you have. I used to sit there and start from the letter A, you know, and I would read about the different things. I mean, I would absorb information. Now I have a phone that I could simply Google you, you, anything. And right. although people don't people don't trust Wikipedia, people don't trust Google necessarily. At least you have just enough to be somewhat dangerous. And I just don't know, you know, what's what's the well, like. Why can't Josh understand what what evolution is? Why? Why is evolution an issue other than the fact that it destroys the whole Adam and Eve thing? Like, what's the big deal? Why are we still debating these things in 2016? It's, it's really amazing, but yet sad to me. Yeah, yeah that, that's so true. Um, <laughs> and I wonder about that, and I start wondering, you know, it has come to my uh, question myself, you know, about that. It's like, you know, there's so many things that we um, have to do um, and so many more important things to do than to debate about an invisible sky-dwelling entity with uh, a God-man born of a virgin uh, that was married to a man and the godson levitates back to the sky to be with, to rejoin the three-headed God. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, 
so um you know it's uh it, it it's something i i um I think about that sometimes. My wife is like, you know, why do you spend so much time with that? But, you know, you almost can't, <laughs> you can't help it. You know, um, there's something that has to be dealt with. Um, but I think as long as we put these conversations out there, that um, in the long run, you know, you'll have a, a young mind that comes up and says, you know what, man, these guys, they, I, they, they lay down a, a, a tight argument. You know what I mean? And this guy couldn't—he couldn't respond to anything. So I saw where he just rushed off the phone, or he brushed over it, or he started doing this—you know, raising his voice—and you know, because he couldn't answer the question. Um. So uh, that's what I see, and I, I kind of guess that's what my mission is. That's what my purpose is: is to get these counter arguments out there, so that you know somebody could, you know search and say, okay, yeah, well, um, you know, Reggie and Shelton were in the, in the round table and these guys are talking about this and, you know, they didn't have to shout and <laughs> shout people down. You know, they just bought information and they bought sound arguments and these other people couldn't, they couldn't deal with it. They, they had no answers, you know, or you keep hearing the same answers over and over again and, you know, they're, they're non-answers and, it just doesn't work. But, you know, like you said, as according to that verse, you know, of course, they're talking the the writer, again, unknown, <laughs> um, because they started attributing books to, to Paul, who who is that, number one, and why is he important, why should anybody have to do what this made-up character said um, by the unknown writer, is that why is it valid about anything? But, Let's just say that it is. The person is just talking about making idols, and they don't go and read the whole thing. They're talking about idol worship. So it's just something they cherry-pick a, uh, a filibuster with. That's the truth of the matter. Um, you you brought up something that uh, had me thinking about some of the challenges that uh, I face because – you know, when I started the group Haitian Free Thinkers, I was talking to some some younger friends, and I was like, "Yo, you know, I'm motivated. I'm happy. Let's let's get busy. Let's talk to the people because I feel like I'm going to at least resuscitate some questions that I think a lot of us have asked, but we got some bad answers, and maybe we were satisfied with them, etc." And I remember I was told that do not go after the old Haitians because, you know, they're set in their ways, et cetera, whatever. They're never going to listen. Focus on the young people. Um, do you find that that there is such a thing as um, a certain demographic? Let's just say, let's call let's talk about the, just the black um, demographic. Are young people more um, open, maybe because of technology, than older people? to some of the things that we talk about, or is it just, does it depend on the person's, I guess, innate disposition towards wanting to find out information? So what's your experience with that? Are are younger people more open to what we're talking about? Yeah, I feel, I feel you know, I agree with the person that, 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 that gave you that advice. I think it's like this. 
you know, okay, so I'm 53. Um, now, the way I would encounter a young person, and when I was, when it was the other way around, when I was in my mid-20s, and my mentor was, you know, 70-something years old, um, when I went to him with an open mind, because my mind was open, I was searching to find the truth, you know, um, my mind was open. Now, my brother, uh, at the same time, was going, we were taking Hebrew lessons, and he had, he's 15 years older than me. Now, when it came to a crucial question of, um, because the my mentor did not, he was, he was a person who just went with the Torah. So the first five books, the most, that's it. Everything else is just, you know, story. Um, and after a while being with him, so I'm like, well, why don't you believe in Jesus Christ? You know, because this is what I was brought up to believe in, so I don't understand why you don't, why you stop where you stop. Now, my mind was open because I, now I wanted the information. Um, my brother, who had more years vested in the, in believing that, you know, hey, Jesus, I accept everything, his mind was closed to it because he had more of a vested interest in and more time in believing it another kind of way. Me as a younger man was like, yeah, well, you tell me why you don't. You know, I'm willing to question because I want to be able, I'm headed out, you know, out the door with my life. I want to know what what I believe is true, is really true, um, because I'm formulating my belief system at the time, whereas an older person, in this case my brother, was like, well, I got all that straightened, and if he comes with something else, I don't accept it. So now that it's like flipped the other way, um, I could be a younger version of myself, and I, I don't see older people as being more willing to change because they've lived their life a certain type of way. I have a, my family still attends the church that I went to. Now, I have aunts and uncles that are, you know, in their late 70s and into their 80s. I have an aunt that's 90 years old. Um, look at all the time that they have vested time and energy they have vested in that belief, you know, even if they were 60-something, and they got 30 years of life energy participating in those rituals and belief systems and things like that. Imagine how shocking it is that you come, you know, how open will they be if you come to them tell them that, you know, well, this movement that you're in was just part of a larger movement of people who had, um, they were motivated for nationalistic reasons because the environment was oppressive. They were looking for a way out, so this is why this religion exists today, and there are many others just like it. There's nothing special about it. You know, imagine if you just bought the the line back in the 20s or the 30s or the 40s, and you're up against, you know, the end of your life, and you've got all this, you're not open to it. You're just not. I, you know, I, I don't think so. I think it's less, really less of a chance to have a closed mind than an open mind in that case. So I would I, get I, young I'm maybe I'm I'm just very romantic or something. I un, I understand what you're saying. It's all valid. The the thing that I rest on is 
you know, you know, I'm 36 now, and I think that if I were to speak to to that older group, I might through a conversation, respectful, etc. I'm thinking that I might um, resuscitate an old question. Uh, you know, some of the things that you know. I think a lot of us have asked ourselves and, you know, to find out how they were able to resolve that issue. For example, let me give you one of my favorites. If I were to ask any of these individuals, whether they're older, younger, whatever, you know, you know, Matthew and Luke's um, genealogy, not just, not just the genealogy of Jesus, not just that they conflict, but um, they're about 10 years apart as far as when Jesus was born, you know, those who care and about those kind of things and they know about it, I mean, to me, no matter how old you are, like, I, would, I just want to know, like, did you solve that riddle? You know, how can one say that he was born approximately 10 years after the other based on some of the surrounding information about the stories? I mean, that's how I would approach it. And maybe they can, some people may know what I'm talking about, some may not, but for those who know, that's that's kind of like my approach, and I'll go from there and see like how they were able to reconcile those things and still carry on with their belief system, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, like you said, some people care, and some people just hey, I've, I've been it's tradition. I've been living my life this way, and I'm not going to change. I don't care what you find. So. You know, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I have to say, I think most people, if they're older, they're not, they're just not going to be open to it. It, it becomes insignificant um, just because of the life energy, and they'll excuse it out, I think, um, because of the amount of life energy. If you've lived the majority of life in the hope of going to heaven, um, and, you know, there's some minor, as what they call minor uh, contradictions or apparent contradictions. They're really not that important because you, important because you have their best interest in um, going to heaven. <laughs> That's more important than what's specifically there in the book, you know. So. Okay. So that 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 class of individuals that would be more uh, open, more receptive. What's what do they look like? What's what does that de- demographic look like? To me, it's people that um, are normally more educated, for, formally educated, because you can have informal education. You have. Um, People who I think who have never um, never fully accepted the brainwashing and like these are these are uh, uh, they're they're mostly young they're coming out I mean it happens I read this uh, saw this video where they were uh, these Christians were saying that they lose once the children go away to school they lose seventy five percent of their children once they leave and go to a to a university. When they come out from the brainwashing, so it's people like that. Do you understand? It's just it's people like that that are um, 
going out for the first time out from the umbrella of their parents. It's people that have always had doubts but don't have an outlet to, um, who didn't have an outlet to voice their skepticism or doubt, coming more and more um, not an excuse because you can interact online and you can get YouTube videos and blogs and things like that, which I believe is causing the rapid decline in religious in, in religion on the uh, the feeder system, basically. Because it's like, you know, I just make the analogy, the feeder systems for football, like the Pee Wee Leagues and the, um, you know, the neighborhood football uh, teams and local teams and stuff like that, the guys, they start off when they're six or seven and they play in the summer, then they go to junior high, high school, college, and then there's the select few out of the colleges to actually go on and play professional ball. You know, it's not going to be those back-end guys that kill the league. It's going to be when there's less and less people coming into the pipeline. Um, and that's something that was in the movie. I just saw a movie, uh, Concussion, once they say once those parents on the front end start making the decisions not to get the theater system, then it eventually dies. And I think that's the same in religion. Once you people start coming out from under there, the, the theater system for religion, which is the young people, is killed. It's going to kill and is killing uh, religion in uh, America right now. Okay. So so basically, information is the key. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's – I, I agree. I'm trying to, you know, have Creole language stuff for those masses out there who – are Haitian or Haitian-ish, and because uh, a lot of us are spread all over the world, and if we remember any kind of Creole, and we belong to that demographics where we are able to research and we want to get entertained and learn at the same time from a knucklehead living in Georgia, USA, then that's what I intend to do. It's a lot of work, um, and a lot of it's been done in English already, and whenever I try Whenever I have some time, I try to um, do things like this so I can uh, kind of have someone, give someone something that they can share and say, yo, there's a crazy guy talking craziness in Creole, and I'm loving it. And uh, right. I want to research to see what if, if he, what if he's saying is, what if what, what he is saying is true. Right. Uh, so it's tough because, you know, uh, my my vision is that, you know, once the information filters all the way down to Haiti, um, you know, it could spark that conversation because in Haiti itself, the homeland, um, most people are not worried about um, uh, religious debates per se, but it's always entertaining. And, you know, that hope and in, in all those things that you mentioned earlier play a part because they're struggling down there. But um, I don't know if different ideas at the same time are filtering in because I haven't been in the gr- underground for a long time. I'm more American now than I am Haitian. 
Um, but I, I do what I can to donate to the cause because I think it's a, it's a very, very important thing that you and I are doing. And um, I just I want to see um, the progress. I want to see the fruits of it. Um, and uh, I think the young people are going to, you know, pay the dividends uh, real, real soon. You know, I'm kind of anxious with this upcoming election coming up. You know, a lot, a lot is at stake. Um, and some of those um, demographic blocks that we talked about earlier are going to turn on, and we're going to see if if uh, it's going to pay off. What do you think? Yeah. I think it will. I definitely think that um, it is time well, uh, well invested going out and put putting the information out there, putting the, the opinion out there, putting the arguments out there. Um, and, you know, it, it is time well spent because I can say for me that the fact that when I started doing my research um, in the late 80s and early 90s when there was no Internet infrastructure, you know, somebody took the time and wrote a book um, which – got me to the point where I started questioning things, you know, and I was able to go and get a reference because if that person didn't write that book, was, which was obviously, you know, during that time not popular to question about, you know, well, who was Paul and why should, you know, you know, like why, why should we believe this person and why, who, who did the research to find that the oldest, book and the, the older books in the so-called New Testament were the books written by Paul, not by Matthew, Luke, and John. How, why is the old the New Testament arranged in a way to make it look like the Gospels are the older books when they actually are not? Um, right. You know, somebody took the time to put that information out there. So what we're doing with conversations like this and with, with um, uh you know, doing YouTube videos and going on uh, uh, forums where our view is unpopular or not the majority view, you know, somebody's going to see that, you know, some some young, sharp guy or uh, girl's going to see that, listen to that, and it's like, you know, well, that, you know, you know, hey, let me go look at this link, you know, and they can, you know, instead of taking the time to walk to a library, they can go to um, to Amazon or to somebody's uh, uh, blog site and download something that's the work that's already been done. You know, I have my own blog um, that I keep where I've done the research on the people Israelites and the, the whole movement and how it got started. So somebody doesn't have to go through and say, well, let me try to find where this book is and, and what about this pamphlet that was written in how is this connected with the Pentecostal? It's like the work is done, and then you could build on that research, you know. So, I mean, we're doing, I believe we're what, doing it. Sorry to just, uh, interrupt you. What's the address of that blog so that we can put it out there? Yeah, it's called uh, it's uh, www.farpoint, like F-A-R-P-O-I-N-T-E, dot wordpress.com. So www.farpoint with a e dot wordpress dot com, and I have a 
the, the date notes that I've done uh, from debates, I have uh, other topics that I'm interested in, um, but it's a lot of information based on the uh, the history of the Hebrew Israelites. Um, and I've had that up, um, man, it's going on four years now, and I've had people from all over the globe uh, check that information out. You know, from almost every country on the on the on the planet. <laughs> I'm not saying there's a whole lot, but you know, just to get that information out there, that means that you know, if I get you know these people to come look and then to discuss and to to have a reference, man, I mean that that's pretty powerful stuff, you know. Um, so uh, that's something that I mean I go through fits and starts with um, uh, putting information up there based on, you know, the time I have to, you know, to take care of my household and to spend time with uh with writing, but um it has been it's been great, you know, but you know, that'll be there and like if there's some young shot person to some some skeptic, some uh, free thinker can, you know, type in something in Google and, and my name comes up and they can, Oh, what's this guy doing? Oh, okay, wow, okay, what is this? Oh, I see the start. I see where these people, you know, where these, you know, where the Hebrew uh, Israelites come from, where they, where these camps come from, where it started, how it started, what was the beginning of it, you know, what books to read, what, you know, I, I, I have pages of books um, that I just scan and put on there, and um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of stuff. But I mean, we're doing the right thing and getting that information out there. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, website now, and uh, I definitely will be checking it out. Um, we're running towards the end of the broadcast. Uh, let me see. We have about two minutes left. Uh, this mm-hmm. has been the Haitian Freethinkers Radio Show. My name is Reggie. You're listening to Shelton. Uh, if you want to catch this show after the fact, you can just go to your iTunes and search for Haitian Freethinkers and this is episode number 64, I believe. Um, and you can listen to all the past shows, obviously. Uh, we are also on Stitcher Radio and Spreaker if you have uh, an Android device. And if you want to contact the Haitian Freethinkers, you can do so by by emailing us at HaitianFreethinkers at gmail.com. We have our, our website out now, which is uh, Haitian Freethinkers. Dot .org and you we also have a Google Voice number so we're making it easier to contact in every single way that you can imagine and that Google Voice number is 678-820-9474 once again that's 678-820-9474 Shelton has been wonderful one of the, this has been one of the best shows and most most uh, informative shows that I've had because um I think the only the only down part for me is that we agree so much there's no point of contention, but I'm over here typing away because I have to do my research, and that's almost, that's always a good thing for me. So um, I have the website now. Um, it's farpoint.wordpress.com, F-A-R-P-O-I-N-T-E.wordpress.com. So for those of you who are listening now or, or is going to listen in the future, Check that out. And with about 15 seconds left, I'll just let Shelton get the last uh, words in. Yes. 
Thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity and time. I, I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, it, it, it's been a great. And thank you very much for, for, for inviting me on the show. All right. Excellent. So um, with that, um, I thank you for coming on the show. Um, we're probably going to be uh, have the opportunity to do, to, to do it again in the future. Uh, I'll send you a message that you know when my availability is, and I'll be checking out your blog. And once again, thank you. You are wonderful, and I'll be talking to you soon, my brother. Thank you, and you have a great night. Thank you again. Good night. Good night. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.